0: this trying to come up with the idea for a podcast but this week because the idea we came up with was so ambitious that it's taken us an extra week to do we've been filling in the time with the reading of classic pieces of literature as reimagined by our artificial intelligence the Podtron 4500 today i will be reading to kill a mockingbird by harper lee by the Podtron 45000 if you'd like to hear our premium episode that's coming up, two weeks in the making, Moon Row, a TV pilot about a detective who also has a moon for a head. You can go to patreon.com slash we don't have a podcast yet. That's P A T R E O N.com slash we don't have a podcast yet. All one word. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, to kill a mockingbird by Harper Lee. Dedication. For Mr. Lee and Alice, in consideration of love and affection, lawyers, I suppose, were children once. Charles Lamb. Chapter 1. When he was nearly 13, my brother Jem got his arm badly broken at the elbow. It made a funny mark on his arm. It was hard to bend, and he walked with a limp. The doctor told him not to come back for a year. He was discouraged, but not discouraged enough. Jem's headstrong nature overcame his own wounds. I can make myself do better than a year, he said. After he got it in the doctor's office, he went to a confederate restaurant and had it x-rayed. They called him in to show him his elbow. They showed him the x-ray on a big screen. He saw the whole thing down to the scar on his arm where it had been fixed. It turned his face colorless. When he got his cast off, he ran all around the street they lived on till it fell off. He looked in the mirror, recognized his face, and was thrilled. He was 12 years old. A highwayman named Jack Bug commanded them to do so. We are from New York. They cannot get me back there to face the law, so they need to take me somewhere. But I'm just a baby, and I am under sentence to be taken care of in Alabama jack had traveled a good deal even into europe they had met in london and had come back to alabama they were hiding in an abandoned house in the woods waiting to be called to duty jack was waiting when i met them they were searching my house they thought i'd murdered my brother because the weapon he was using was not a rifle but some kind of gun then they took him to the nearest police station a woman a gentlewoman Took him home with her. It's lovely here, Jack said one day. It's got three floors, and there's a big kitchen, a living room, a parlor, and a bathroom. I have a roommate and a dog. He likes me a lot. He takes the doggy blanket from my bed, and he sits on it. He does not want to go outside. What's your roommate like? He's the biggest English mastiff I've ever seen. He's three times bigger than me, which is a fat woman. He's friendly, though. He and I sleep in the bedroom. Well, if that's all right with you, I don't see what the problem is. You see, this place is laid out like a boat, so when I go to sleep, I'm going to be in a corner. The dog is sleeping on the bed. I will be in the corner. All that I can see from the window are trees. I don't see any buildings, and on dark nights, I cannot see any stars. And I'll be a a frightened little baby. The law was already there. All right, let me get this over with, they said. On this night, the third night, they took him with them. They started out in a car. As they got farther away from the city, Jack said, Are you going to take me back? It's going to be all right. They'll take care of you. Do you know where you're going? Don't worry, we'll get you there. And when we get there, we're going to have a good time. I'm going to show you Alabama. Here it is. That building over there. Jack took his arm and pointed. What building is that? I don't know. Let's go. They went up the elevator and went into the middle of the floor where all the blight bulbs were hanging. Then they went up some stairs. The elevator stopped. The doors opened. This is the room we're going to, Jack said. Wait here, they said. I'm going to see if I can get the owner to take you with us. They went back down to the ground floor. The elevator door opened. A man was there. He was wearing an evening suit and held his black hat in his hands. Are you the boy we were looking for, he asked. I am, Jack said. Are you all right? Fine, Jack said. Are you going to take me with you? That's what I was just coming over here to see you about. Let me go back in and see if I can find the guide. He went back into the elevator room and brought back a man. He was wearing a long coat. His tie was gone. He had no hat. Are you the boy? The man asked. This is my wife he's talking to. She's in the corner. Don't bother her. Jack stood there. The man turned to his wife. Let's go, he said. The wife went back to the corner, and the man and Jack and his dog went up in the elevator. They went into a room with soft red wallpaper and expensive carpeting. The curtains were open, the lamp was on, and the wife was sitting at a table and pouring water into a glass. What are we having? Jack asked. A picnic, she said. She had a big frying pan. She was frying onions and tomatoes and lettuce and corn. Jack stood at the doorway. It's nice in here, he said. You can eat all you want, she said. Did you get the thing with the plastic covering, he asked. No, she said. I bought it for you. I got it on sale. She cooked him a steak. Then she put a nice green salad in a bowl and poured the salad dressing on it. Then she sliced two hot dogs and put them in the salad. Then she poured more salad dressing on it and put a piece of buttered bacon on top of it. Then she cut some tomatoes and lettuce and put them on the salad. "'This is very good,' Jack said. "'Do you like my steak?' "'It's good,' he said. "'How do you know?' "'Because I don't like steak.' "'So you've never eaten a steak in your life?' "'I have,' Jack said, "'but I didn't like it.' "'My steak's really nice,' she said. "'You make it yourself?' "'Not myself,' she said, "'but my husband makes it.' She was speaking kind of fast. "'Who is your husband?' why would you want to know I think he might be the man I'm looking for Oh, I have a message for him he's going to hear you too you can talk to him if you want to he's around here somewhere I'm getting to that Jack said I want to talk to him but I need a plastic plaque plaque I need a plastic placemat Jack said do you have a plastic placemat around here you can use I have a plastic placemat, but not one you can use, she said. Here, she said, and she took him into the dining room. This is my husband's place, she said. Come and eat with us. She took a plate from the center of the table, and she brought the plate to Jack and gave it to him. Then she put the plate in front of her husband, who was sitting across the table. Jack looked across the table. His wedding ring caught the light. The man had a very nice wedding ring. It had diamond chips in it. That's good, Jack said. That's real good. Do you like our plastic placemat? I do, Jack said. It's very nice. I made it for you, she said. Do you like it? It's beautiful, he said. Good, she said. Now that that's done, she said, I'm going to take the dog for a walk. She got up and took the dog off the table and led him outside. You can have my placemat, Jack said. You can have it. "'I'll keep it if you want to,' she said. "'She reached for the plastic placemat. "'If you want it,' Jack said, "'you can have it.' "'Then you can eat your steak on this,' she said. "'It'll look real good on your table.' "'I would be glad to,' he said. "'I will then,' she said. "'Thank you very much.' "'She picked up the plate and the placemat. "'I guess I'd better get to my husband,' she said. "'I've got some things to talk to him about.' "'You understand?' "'Yeah,' he said. "'I understand.' and he gave her the plastic placemat and the plastic plate. The man looked at them and then looked at Jack. You want to eat on my placemat? Jack said. I want to, he said. Thanks. Well, good, Jack said, and he took the placemat. The man took the placemat. He ate the steak, and he talked to his wife, and he told her about how he liked her husband's steak. After a few minutes, the woman said, Well, do you mind if I sit back down? No, Jack said. If you want to, go ahead. It's okay with me. She sat back down. That was really good, she said. Did you tell your husband that? Of course, he said. Why would I mind? I thought maybe it was just for me. He told me, he said. He told me that you like my steak. Meanwhile, back home, things were getting interesting. Jeanie could feel the people in the street all around her. They were angry, and they were going to be very, very angry. The crisis would come. It would come soon. For the first time in her life, she wanted to live, and she wanted to live now. In her lap, Jeeves raised his hand. She slid the book out of her lap. She set the book on the table. She put her hands on her lap and gripped her fists. Jeeves slid the wig out from under his chair. He put lifted it to his head. The wig took a long time to put on. His eyebrows creased and the hair stuck straight out. He lifted his eyes and found himself a mirror. He leaned close to it and looked closely, concentrating hard on the reflection, the eyes almost disappearing. Then he turned and looked at Jeanie, and he smiled. Jeanie could see her brother now, cringing, expecting her reaction. The hat had been stretched out, even. The hat was almost too small for him now. His eyes filled with tears. What a stupid hat, he said. What is it? I hate it. He shook the back of his head. His eyes filled with tears. I hate it. He waved his hand. I hate it. The tears ran down his face and down his neck. Jeeves, Jeannie said. What shall I do? What shall I do? Jeeves. I have to do something, she said. I have to do something. He looked at her with sympathetic understanding. Your brother hates the hat, Jeannie. I hate it, her brother said. It's stupid. And you've decided to wear it? And I'm going to keep wearing it. Jeannie, dear. And these girls at the farm, they hate it too? No, I can't say as they do. I don't want to wear it. I know, my dear, you don't. Why not? It's a silly hat. It's my hat. And I've decided to wear it. I could help you, he said. I could sit here and wait until I grow a beard and mustache. What would you do with a mustache? Jeannie, you'll have to help me. I have to help you, Jeanie said. I have to do something. I'm sorry I can't. She threw her arms around his neck and hugged him tightly. She held him for a long time. The arm under the hat stretched out to the table. Jeeves looked at Jeannie. He was very thoughtful. Then he pulled the hair back from his eyes, looked at it closely and said, Jeeves? Yes, dear? You didn't get it all. He looked at her. He studied her, and he saw what he needed. No, no, he said. You missed one. He grabbed the hair. He pulled and he pulled, and in spite of the fact that Jeanie was on her knees, clinging to her brother, leaning in so her face was close to the mirror, he pulled so the hair was pulled out in one snappy jolt. A pair of balls flopped across the table. Jeeves pushed Jeanie aside. He reached over and gathered the hair into his hand, and he took the back of his hand and raked the hair over the side of the table. Then, using one finger, he pushed it down the side of the table into the hollow between the table and the wall. There, he said. There. Now the hair won't get lost. Jeeves stood in front of the mirror. He was looking at himself, and he had changed. The beard grew on the back of his neck, and he had a mustache, and he was wearing a hat. His eyes still had the deep blue of a man with blue eyes. He did not look much like a man at all. He looked like an eel. The girls at the farm could not believe it. That's not your brother, Jeanie said. I can't believe it. He looks like a little monkey. Jeeves had stayed the night. They had pretended to go to bed early. When they had gotten up, he was still awake. I'm afraid, Jeanie, he said. It's very odd, but the girl next door died of anorexia, and my other brother, his name is Tony, and he's just returned from the war, we're all afraid he's anorexic, too. Anorexic? Are you sure? Yes, Jeannie. You should come look at him. Go on, now. Don't you want to see Tony? I don't believe it. I thought you'd be pleased. I am pleased, but I don't want Tony to be anorexic. Don't you? Things were tense all winter. When Tony came to visit, he expected a warm welcome. Instead, he found a cold and snowy environment, gloomy curtains and a gloomy sofa. It was like being in a church on Christmas Eve, except that, on this particular Christmas Eve, Tony did not want to go to church. Then Jack got a message from his uncle saying that an accident had taken his sister's life. Tony had to tell him in person. He met him at the entrance to the boarding house and said, I'm sorry, I thought you might be up here visiting with some of your old friends. Tony took off his hat and glasses and embraced Jack, but as soon as they were close enough to hug, Jack felt something was wrong. What's up? Tony asked. Jack shook his head and said, You're not going to believe this. Oh, great, said Tony. The brakes on my car failed. It was an accident, and while I was pushing the car to safety, I crushed three women. Really? Why is that great? Jack asked. I'm not happy, but not as happy as I'd be if I knew about it, Jack said. Tony looked down and shook his head. I know what you're thinking. The man is just saying it to make you feel better. I know, Jack said. You didn't, Jack. I really am not doing well, Tony said. Jack looked at him and didn't know how to respond. He didn't think he knew Tony well enough to know how he was really doing. He felt a surge of concern. The way I see it, Jack said, I've heard people say that they're depressed because their lives are too hard. They have no hope. Right, Tony said. Now you're saying that that's not it at all. My life has been pretty difficult, Jack, and there's not a lot I can be proud of. Tony, I don't know, Jack said. What I do know is that you're not depressed, and I'm not implying that you are. I don't know you well enough, to say this, but I think you are doing well. If you are depressed, it means what you thought was good is actually bad. That's a bad thing. I don't want to minimize the situation. The thing is, Jack, Tony said, I'm no saint. Not anymore. If I was, you'd still be getting mail from me the last two years. True, Jack said, and I'm no hero. Tony, you are a hero, Jack said, If you want to be a hero, I will be honored to call you a hero. Those three women you crushed? They wouldn't be here today if you hadn't put yourself between them and the car. The accident that killed them was your fault, but you saved their lives. The thought of you being depressed is absolutely laughable. But, Tony hesitated, a man has to be stoic, Jack. The problem is that stoicism doesn't work. It's empty and you will have to be willing to let go and realize that life is painful. It hurts, and it isn't just what's happening to you. If you're ready, I want to help. I will take you up on that offer. But tell me what it is, Tony said. I'm not sure you'll want to hear it, said Jack. Go ahead. It's about what you said about how we spend our lives. You said, I want to become my brother's keeper. What do you mean by that? Brother, your brother, that's not what you want, is it, Jack said. I know that's not what I said, that's what I'm thinking. What you're thinking is that you want to be like your brother, Jack said, and that's not a good thing. That is what I want, Jack. What's it like, Jack asked. What's your brother like? Well, my brother has a good job, and he makes good money, and he has two beautiful children, Tony smiled. They're beautiful, aren't they? He and his family are living the American dream, said Jack. They aren't like you and me. He is a great man, Jack, Tony said. I believe in what he does, and I believe in his kids. But, Jack didn't want to say the words. But, Tony said. He doesn't have a wife. A wife would help him, and it wouldn't be a slave. Wouldn't it? asked Jack. Tony considered for a moment. I'm thinking of having some slaves, Jack, Tony said, or at least some people to do the work I can. not What you're saying is that you want to be you, Jack said. You want to be like your brother, He isn't my brother, Jack, Tony said. He's my father. What do you mean? He owns me, Jack, Tony said. I live in his home and I work for him and I'm treated like his son, not his son-in-law. That's a slave relationship, Tony, Jack said. Not a love relationship. We're not talking about love, Jack. I'm talking about control. I understand, Jack said. Control of his property, so to speak. You should know better, Jack, Tony said. I'm sorry. Let's go to bed. We can talk about this tomorrow, Tony said. I don't want to talk about it, Tony, Jack said. We're not having sex tonight. I don't want to do anything. I think you should have some sex with me tonight, Tony said. There's something about me that you need. I don't need anything from you, said Jack. You're mad at me, aren't you, Jack, said Tony. It's because you don't love me. I'm not mad at you, Tony, Jack said. You are. Let's not talk about this anymore, said Jack. Let's not go to sleep. Jack was in bed when his alarm clock went off. He pushed the snooze button. Tony walked into the room. Where are you going? asked Tony. I have to meet with Jem, said Jack. The Mockingbird is keeping a secret from us. I don't know what kind of secret, but he's hiding it from us. I know where it is, said Tony. It's behind your door. Jack slowly pulled open his bedroom door. Okay, I'm going, he said. Thank you, said Tony. I'll meet you at the stairs. As Jack walked down the stairs, he noticed how quiet it was. He looked around to see if he could find the Mockingbird. As he walked down the hallway, he noticed the Mockingbird. He didn't see the bird until it was right beside him. Hello, Jack said. I know you're not supposed to be in this room, the Mockingbird growled at Jack. I know you're not supposed to be in my house, Jack said. Why are you here? Oh, no, said the Mockingbird. I'm not supposed to be here. I need you to tell me the secret, Jack said. What is the secret? asked Jack. We need to defeat the mockingbird, said the mockingbird. What do we do when we defeat the mockingbird, asked Jack. Then we can defeat the king, said the mockingbird. What do we do when we defeat the king, asked Jack. Then we can defeat your old nemesis, Tony, said the mockingbird. We need to defeat Tony, said Jack. What do we do when we defeat Tony, asked Jack. Then we can defeat all of your old enemies including my mother, said the Mockingbird. What do we do when we defeat all of your old enemies, asked Jack? Then we will finally be able to have peace, said the Mockingbird. As Jack pulled out a gun, the Mockingbird ran into the room. Look, said the Mockingbird, I know what we need to do. How can you know what we need to do, asked Jack? Because I know who killed my father, said the Mockingbird. My father, asked Jack? My father is the king. King? asked Jack. My father was the king of all the birds. Why did he kill you? asked Jack. It was me, said the mockingbird. I wanted to kill my father, but I couldn't, so I asked you to kill him. Your old nemesis? asked Jack. My old nemesis was your father, said the mockingbird. I had your father killed because he wanted to have peace with me, but I could not let that happen so I asked your father to meet me behind the chicken coop, and when he got there, I killed him. Why? asked Jack. So you can have peace with me, said the Mockingbird. I'm tired of fighting wars, said the Mockingbird. I'm tired of hiding from birds, from my old nemesis Tony. I want peace. You know who I am? asked Jack. Of course I know who you are, said the Mockingbird. You're Jack the Ripper. "'How do you know who I am?' asked Jack. "'I always know who you are,' said the Mockingbird. "'I know everything.' "'That's kind of creepy,' said Jack. "'What are you talking about?' asked the Mockingbird. "'I've never told you this,' said Jack, "'but your dad told me your name.' "'How did he know?' asked Jack. "'Because we're friends,' said the Mockingbird. "'He's your father. You were his son. We were friends.' What are you talking about? asked Jack. Your dad, the king of all birds, was friends with Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper, the most famous serial killer of all time? Of course, said the Mockingbird. We were best friends. We fought battles against Tony together. We were there when Tony was born. When Tony turned three years old, we finally defeated Tony. But then Tony had a special birthday. What birthday? asked Jack. He had a big party said the mockingbird everyone from all over the world came to his party how did tony have a birthday asked jack he turned 16 said the mockingbird it's a magic birthday it's when you can turn into a chicken why did he turn into a chicken asked jack i don't know said the mockingbird but he could never defeat me and i didn't want to become a chicken so i killed my dad i'm so confused said jack "'When did Tony turn into a chicken?' asked the Mockingbird. "'He started to turn into a chicken around the age of sixteen, said Jack, "'and when he turned sixteen, he asked me to kill him, but I couldn't kill him.' "'Why not?' asked the Mockingbird. "'Because I loved him,' said Jack. "'I thought Tony was my friend, and we had won all the wars together.' "'All of the wars?' asked the Mockingbird. "'All the wars.' said jack tony and i have never fought a single battle said jack but we were always at war he was at war with you asked the mockingbird we were at war with all the other birds said jack all the birds hated us because we loved tony but he was the only one who didn't hate us and because tony liked us so much the other birds gave him special powers i didn't know that said the mockingbird And because Tony's special power were greater than all of the other birds combined, Tony was able to take over the world. What? asked the Mockingbird. He took over the world? He wanted to, said Jack. And when he took over their world, he was able to kill all the other birds. Wait, said the Mockingbird. You're saying that Tony is responsible for killing all the other birds? That's right, said Jack. There was a knock at the door. Are you going to answer that? Asked the Mockingbird. Jack kept his gun trained on the Mockingbird. The door's unlocked, Jack yelled. Let yourself in. The door opened, and it was Jem. He was dressed in his normal clothes, but he had a torn shirt, and there was blood on his hand. What happened? The Mockingbird said. I accidentally shot myself, said Jem. Sorry about that. I kept my eyes closed so I didn't see the big butt. The Mockingbird lowered his gun. Jem was hurt and could use a comforting ribbing, but the Mockingbird couldn't do that because the Mockingbird was hurt too, even though he had his weapon, so he went to the closet. He took out the most important thing he had and he turned it around in his hand, the thing that gave him the feeling of security. You've got to tell me more about the Mockingbird, said Jack. It's not as interesting as the mockingbirds, said Jem. He used the training gun he always used, the one he didn't have in this world. I wanted to hear everything about this one, said Jack. I'm not sure if I want to, said Jem. There are things he did that made me want to kill him. What things? asked Jack. He knew about the beginning of the end, said Jem. He knew things before you were ever born, even before we were born. "'Did you kill him?' Jack asked. "'No, I just shot him in the eye.' "'Why was he hanging around?' Jack asked. "'He'd been there for a while before I shot him,' said Jem. "'He must have escaped from jail. "'He did odd jobs for people in town, like taking down the garbage. "'It's not like people have to be stupid to do garbage collection, said Jack. "'He did.' "'Did you love him?' Jack asked. "'What? No!' It was a stupid argument, said Jem. We were young, said Jack. He was the first person I'd ever met who cared about me like that, said Jem. Do you think he's still alive, Jack asked. I don't know, said Jem, probably not. So what's next for us, Jack asked. I'm not sure, said Jem. I still have some hard feelings for you. It's my fault he ran away, said Jack. Maybe he would have been better off if I hadn't gone with him. People run away all the time, it's nobody's fault. I didn't expect it, but there was no reason for him to get shot. Jack looked at the gun in his hand. He liked it a lot more than he thought he would. Well, let's get this thing to stop bugging me. I can't hide my face forever, said Jack. If you need my help with it, said Jim, I'll keep it for as long as you need it, said Jack. Do you need a spotter? No, said Jack. Okay said Jim. One sec, I'll get a bowl of water for you. Thanks, said Jack. He turned the gun around in his hand one more time and it disappeared. Let's go then, the sun set and the mockingbird woke up from the sun sitting on his face. He wanted to get up but he couldn't move his head very much. I wonder how long I've been here, he said. A while, said a pigeon. How long do I have to stay here, the mockingbird asked. We're stuck here until the pigeon forgets about you. I'm not sure I want that to happen. No, I guess you don't, said the pigeon. Maybe the sun will be the same tomorrow. You don't remember yesterday, do you? The mockingbird nodded. I want to go home, said the mockingbird. I want to see my wife again. She is very sad without you, said the pigeon. Do you think you can go back to her? "'I have no memory of the last ten years,' said the Mockingbird. "'I don't know if I can make it back to her.' "'We'll have to find out if you can,' said the Pigeon. "'I don't think I have the strength to carry her.' "'Well, maybe you can,' said the Pigeon. "'You seem to know a lot about this,' said the Mockingbird. "'Well, I've been around a long time, long enough to learn things. "'I'm surprised that bird doesn't know about this,' said the Mockingbird. "'How could he not?' said the Pigeon. We live in this town, and this town is full of creatures who live here. And you, said the mockingbird, we live around here too. Well, mostly. We live in the woods, but we don't have this problem with the crow and the mockingbird. Yeah, but they talk to people. They seem real to me. They've killed a lot of people, haven't they? I guess so, said the pigeon. And that's one of the reasons I came to tell you to look out for if they come back you mean for me said the mockingbird yeah that's what i mean you have to stay in this house until the pigeon forgets about you said the pigeon what if she forgets before then it's happened before so we'll try to figure out how to keep the pigeons from making this trip for a while said the pigeon if we do then i guess you'll just have to make the trip when you're ready to I'm not sure if I can do that, said the mockingbird. I really miss my wife. So do I, said the pigeon. She woke up in a cold sweat. The dream was coming back to her, and she couldn't stop it. Oh, no, she said to herself. I've got to go back there. What if they do something to me? What if they try to get you to go back? Said the golden retriever. I don't think so, she said. I can take care of myself. "'Well, at least you can try. "'I really wish there was something I could do for you,' said the golden retriever. "'Well, there is,' said the girl. "'I can make you a shelter where you won't have to go back to those people. "'It'll be your shelter, and no one else can use it. "'I won't let anyone else use it. "'I'll make it strong and sturdy. "'I know you can take care of yourself.' "'Oh, thank you,' said the dog. "'That's so nice of you to say that.' "'I didn't think of it myself,' said the girl.' I was only trying to think of something I could do for you. You're a good friend, said the dog. I don't really know how to be a good friend, said the girl. I know you don't know how to be a good friend yet, said the dog. I'm not the best example of a good friend, said the girl. I still haven't made any friends yet. I'll help you make some friends, said the dog. Would you like that? It had been ten years since the Great Bird Wars had ended. Only the Mockingbird remained. Jem arrived in his Indian summer, but he was not alone. Jack the Ripper, wearing his red bandana and stocking on tiny hooves, was drawn to the Mockingbird, and their battle began. Then Harper Lee showed up and told the story of the dogs and the rats, a story that had never been told, but now was. Before the war, The Mockingbird and the Rats were friends and neighbors. In the courtyard of his house, a Mockingbird had built a nest, and five little Mockingbirds lay in the nest. At dawn, they would holler with a rusty sound. It sounded like shouts, and it all was a call to war. The dogs, who lived in the dark, had no voice. When they heard the call, they came to the window, eyes burning with hot fires, and peered at the nest. The Mockingbird came back to the window and then flew away. He flew like a bird of light through the trees. His black feathers twirled, and he was filled with a fury. The dogs chased the bird, barking with the bark of demons. The Mockingbird circled the courtyard and dove on the dogs. The dogs ran. Now only the Mockingbird was left. In his forest home, he was still young, but he had a plan. He flew to the back of the house where Jack the Ripper, His rival lived in a dark room, but the Ripper was gone. He had escaped in a flash of light. The Mockingbird returned to the courtyard and waited. After the battle, it was summer again. Harper Lee came to the yard. She was beautiful, and the Mockingbird looked up from the jungle, and in the light of her smile, he knew his time had come. He fell in love, and when she asked for the bird, he knew what he had to do. He flew to her nest and opened the door. She had new little mockingbirds in the nest, and he did not take one. He took the mockingbird from her and flew out the door and to the courtyard and opened the gate. Jack the Ripper saw the mockingbird fly away, and he ran into the courtyard and joined Harper Lee. Then he knew the mockingbird had betrayed him. He had gone to Harper Lee, but he had not gone for the mockingbird. But for Harper Lee. And then Jack the Ripper was on his back, and the Mockingbird was on top of Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper looked down and he knew. The Mockingbird had come for him. The Mockingbird had betrayed Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper closed his eyes. Harper Lee had taken the Mockingbird. Finally, Harper Lee stood, and she flew into the sky, and she flew into the dark, and she flew into the old ruins of her house and the Mockingbird sat on her shoulder. She was safe now, and Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper walked through the dark, and he wandered and he prowled. He could still smell blood, and he could still hear the laughter of the Mockingbird and Harper Lee. Jack the Ripper would never be happy again. He was born to be lonely. Bye, Jack, Harper Lee said. Just like that, the Mockingbird and Harper Lee were together again. And the Mockingbird could laugh and talk to the birds. And he sang and he sang and he sang. And the Mockingbird and Harper Lee were happy. They were all together and life was bright. So shine here in the light of day. So shine and so shine and so shine. For the Mockingbird and Harper Lee were all happy. The sun was shining on Harper Lee's grave that day. When the Mockingbird and Harper Lee finally and forever died. And the world cried and cried but for a little while they were happy and nothing else mattered but a bird with a red bandana, a rat with no voice, and two bookish children who lived on a long-forgotten plantation and loved books and ate apples and slept and talked and walked and lived in a world far from the present. Jack went back to the city. After his contract expired, he had to search for work. He spent most of his time in a squat and was soon arrested for illegal drug possession. He was brought in front of the judge. After being betrayed by his employers and incarcerated, Jack began to write. He started small, penning short stories that were both brutal and horrifying. In fact, his first such story was written before his arrest, entitled A Tale of a Headless Man. It is included in some editions of his collected works. The plot of this tale is to replicate the sensation that a decapitated head feels, hence the noose. A severed head is kept inside a lead sack. A man roams the city by night, always looking for victims. If he sees someone, an executioner, a criminal, or the like, he grabs them and carries them off. If they try to fight, he throttles them to death. In any case, he cuts their heads off. Jack shows little compassion for his victims. His action is not punishment, but retribution. He could have watched the whole thing happen, but he couldn't bear it. He had to watch the bloody head roll away with no head. After the story, Jack wrote the dark satire in a few weeks. He had been reading comic books, and they're brutal and disgusting pictures, so he decided to try his hand at a similar style. The result is a fairly standard tale of blood and guts and horror, told in a slightly stylized manner, sometimes looking like a piece of a surrealist painting, but with an undeniable quality of its own. In April 1983, after being invited to a prison governor's speech, he ran into an inmate who was a writer. This inmate convinced Jack to change the name of the story. Instead of No Blood, the title of his first published story, he called it head a tale of a headless man this was followed by the headless artist which has the protagonist strangling women until their heads fall off then came the jackals a tale of a headless man this novel appeared at the height of the second Gulf War with the writer taking inspiration from images and comic books soon several other stories were released all featuring Jack's protagonist, Jack O'Toole. They were all considered a success. Not so, however, for the Masters game, which won the Benjamin Franklin Award and led to Jack's successful film adaptation. Jack would change his name to Rob Klein for the film, retaining his own name only for his short stories. The real Jack would no longer be known as Jack O'Toole, and his real face would no longer be seen. His portrayal in the film would not be entirely accurate. His nose is shorter, for example, and his hair color is closer to gray than the brownish-blonde in the earlier books. Even the soundtrack was carefully chosen to be more brutal and gory than his stories, and Jack's most recognized name became Jack Nicholson's. Nicholson portrayed Jack in three of the four Nightmare on Elm Street films, and in Dreamcatcher, Jack is the crazed, bearded serial killer Dwayne Michael. Sometimes, women try to stop Jack from doing this. It just drove him crazy. Jack's next book was called God in the Dock. It was going to make more than a million dollars, and all this happened because a tiny bird flew into his house. When he finally got there, he found that the bird was dead. He took the bird home, and he put it on a shelf, and he never saw it again. Five years later, he married a woman, a woman with a very big bird. She kept it on a shelf, too. They never even named it. It was just there. But soon the bird made it into the news. Then a few people wrote letters to the bird-hating publisher. And a few days later, the bird disappeared. A few months later, Jack got a call from a man. The man was a psychiatrist. I think you have a problem, he said. I do, Jack said. Yes, the man said. I'm afraid you do. You're in a kind of cult. The man laughed. A cult, Jack said. Oh, my God. He got a kind of sick feeling in his stomach. I really can't do this, he said. I'm married. I know, the man said. But you should see a priest. The man gave Jack the number of a priest. He put the phone down and he picked up the bird he put it on his shoulder, and he went out to the backyard. No, Jack shouted. I'm not going to kill it. I'm not going to kill it. I'm not going to kill it. Yes, you are, the bird-hating publisher said. You've got to kill it. Listen, I'm a married man, Jack said. I don't have any time to kill the bird. That's very reasonable, the publisher said. But you've got to kill it. If it is dangerous... You should kill it i've got some chickens jack said and a dog that's why you should kill it the publisher said you've got to kill it because it's a danger to you and your wife and your dog jack said but i don't want to kill it he opened his hands and walked around the bird i don't want to kill it he said i don't want to kill it he turned to the dead bird he said i don't want to kill it he went into the house he came out with the rubber knife and he walked up to the bird he said, I don't want to kill it, and he put the knife to the bird's throat. Oh, God, he said, I don't want to kill it. He pulled the knife out of the bird's neck, and he looked at it. I don't want to kill it, he said. I don't want to kill it. He walked away. Oh, God, he said. Oh, God. He got in the car, and he drove away. He came home to find his wife was gone. He was walking around the house. Where is she? He said. He found a note on the front door. I went to get your mother, it said. I'll be back. Where is my wife, he said. He ran outside. Where is my wife, he said. He saw her outside, walking around. He started yelling, She's gone! She's gone! He ran up to her. He said, Please, please, stop the car! Stop the car! She ran around to the passenger door and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she jumped into the car, and drove away, and Jack never saw her again. He couldn't stop looking at the dead bird. He carried it around in his hand, and he thought about the bird and the publisher. "'I should just kill myself,' he said. He went back to his house, he put the bird on the bookshelf. He went back to his chair. "'I'm going to kill myself,' he said, and he pulled the knife out of his leg. Then he threw the knife out the window, I'm going to kill myself, he said, and he grabbed the dead bird. He carried it around in his hands. I'm going to kill myself, he said. And then he opened a cabinet. I'm going to kill myself, he said. And then he went to the freezer. I'm going to kill myself, he said. Then he opened the freezer door and he lifted out the bird. I'm going to kill myself, he said. and He put the bird in the butcher block. I'm going to kill myself, he said. And he started slicing the bird. I'm gonna kill myself, he said. And he started carving the bird. I'm gonna kill myself, he said. And he finished carving the bird and he put the bird on the butcher block. I'm gonna kill myself, he said. And then he came across a rifle. I'm gonna kill myself, he said. And he went out to the backyard. He walked around for a long time. Where's my wife? he said. She's gone! He picked up the dead bird. I should just kill myself, he said. He went inside. He opened the refrigerator. I should just kill myself, he said. I don't want to live like this anymore. He walked around inside. He opened the drawer. I should just kill myself, he said. I don't want to live like this anymore. He opened the drawer and he pulled out a knife. I should just kill myself, he said. And he stabbed himself in the back of the neck. I should just kill myself, he said. And then he walked outside. I should just kill myself, he said. He lifted the dead bird. I should just kill myself, he said. And he took the dead bird into the bathroom. I should just kill myself, he said. He picked up the dead bird. I should just kill myself, he said. He put the dead bird on the sink. I should just kill myself, he said. He picked up the knife. I should just kill myself, he said. And then he did. The end. This has been To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. As imagined by the Podtron 45000 and presented by We Don't Have a Podcast Yet. Thank you for listening. And remember... Head over to patreon.com slash we don't have a podcast yet and sign up as a subscriber to get access to the entire vault of bonus material, including this Friday's world premiere of our new show, Moon Row, about a detective with a moon for a head. I've been Nathan P. Woodard. Good night.